When I was training, when I was, I think I was a private, there's this old guy standing in the airport. He's a retired airline guy. And I was, I was asking him something or telling him something and he was telling me something. And anyway, it ended up in the point in the conversation. This old guy looks at me and he's like, son, I got more time on one engine from the outer marker to the runway that you have completely total in your logbook. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Pro Pilot Playbook. I'm Mike Martin. And I'm Sean Ritchie. Yeah, and we've got an exciting podcast for you today. We're going to talk about one of the uh, biggest questions we get personally and uh, in our career. And we've got Sean here who, look at him, he looks well-rested. He's, he's, <laughs> he's back from a, I, I wouldn't even call this a vacation. It was a long vacation, a sabbatical almost. Two weeks, two weeks. <laughs> Where, where'd you go? I was in Hawaii. Hawaii for two weeks, oh, you know, and, and now you're uh, making me jealous. I, I figured it out though, Mike, it, um, you know, typically people take the one week vacation, right? And what, yeah. what, what happens there that day or maybe two days before it's time to go home, you start thinking, man, this is, this wasn't long enough. I just now started to unwind and relax. Right. I need like three more days. So <laughs> that's what prompted the two weeks. And of course, it takes, uh, you know, that's that's quite a journey to get to Hawaii, uh, yes. Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, did you so, fly there yourself or did you on a trip? <laughs> no, uh, no, we went there via the airlines. But um, how'd that go? Good. It was amazing. And uh, it was definitely a trip of a lifetime, you know, with the wife and kids and uh, got to do and see a lot of neat stuff. Uh, but the reason, you know, I... <laughs> One of the things I wanted to do there was go over to the local airport. We were on Oahu, Honolulu, oh, okay. uh, you know, the big city, the capital. And yep. uh, my plan uh, before I left was to go over to the local airport and get checked out in a little Cessna or Piper, whatever they had there, and take the family up in the plane and fly around the island, maybe hit some other islands, fly by some waterfalls, maybe a volcano. Uh, right. Hmm. I couldn't get before we left the house. I kept trying to call these flight schools for a week and uh, nobody was answering me. There's only one flight school at H uh, and L at Honolulu okay. and uh, they never answered. Then we ended up, we, we stayed at a couple different venues while we were there. Uh, we ended up over at the Koalina uh, Marriott resort. Uh, very, very nice. Koalina is kind of like the high end private neighborhood and, Honolulu, it's very exclusive, and mm. uh, Marriott has a resort there. Disney has a resort there, but there's also housing. But anyway, there's an airport wow. right next to Koalina that has a flight school. Same story. These people weren't answering the phone either. I was late leaving. Messages. Island time, man. I know. So, well, I think it was – so I got to the bottom of it. I ended up calling the FBO. I think it was an Atlantic Okay. over it at Koalina and the woman there uh, who answered the phone had some, some Intel for me. Evidently this flight school is just overwhelmed with customers and students. And mm. uh, they probably didn't have time to answer the phone or, or didn't even care to whatever the, the people getting through were the people driving to the airport and, you know, taking action. Which oh, I gotcha. Is a common theme on this podcast, but, at right. that point, 
after getting that intel, I realized it was um, probably dealing with something that's pointless because yeah. to get on the schedule to get, to get even checked out with an instructor, which is what you have to do to rent an airplane. You go. Up oh, and- yeah. Yeah. Tell them that. Yeah. You can't just it's not like. Yeah. A car, right? Well, that, you that's don't just show it, your license like it hurts and they give you the plane. Right. Right. Well, you know that well, this is this great subject. I'm glad we accidentally stopped yeah. on this. But yeah, after you get your private pilot's license, that's one of the cool things, right? You get to take your friends and family up on an airplane ride. Um, right. If you're, if you're renting the airplane from the school you trained at, won't be a problem. You just show up and do it. But if you're on vacation somewhere and want to rent an airplane, or if you go to a FBO or a flight school uh, that rents aircraft that you're not uh, regular of, uh, for their insurance requirements you're going to have to go up in the airplane with one of their instructors just so he can sign you off for their insurance. Um, it's not a big deal. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done this before after they realized I was a professional pilot. It ended up being three laps around the pattern in a Cessna. I've also maybe done they it- recognize you. Maybe they recognize you from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. This was years ago, though. But um, <laughs> but I've also had it the other way where this guy, you know, he was a real stickler and he didn't care what my credentials were. And, you know, he wanted to go up for the full, you know, it was an hour and 10 minute flight. We're doing stalls and steep turns and, you know, all this stuff. You know, some of that may have been the instructor wanting to get time in his logbook as well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I, I appreciate. But uh <laughs> Yeah, so at that point, I kind of gave up on the thing of renting an airplane in Hawaii, but it was still an amazing vacation. But that that's another hack for you out there, folks. Uh, vacation needs to be longer than the standard week. I would say 10 yeah, days. Yeah. 10 so days how did your, perfect what did you do on the airlines? What, what, uh, what kind of equipment did you fly out there on? Uh, we went out there on a uh, 7.6. Out of where? Uh, this was United. We split it up a little bit. I was burning some miles. Um, so on the way out there, we flew out there on a seven, six with United, Chicago. uh, we went to, it was kind of weird the way it got put together. Um, but, uh, actually I don't want to get into that, but we ended up LA is where we, where we left from. We went, I'll just say Cincinnati (laughs) to Chicago, Chicago to LA, LA to Honolulu on the way there. Yes. But, um, that little extra stop ended up saving a lot of it was cheaper to do it that way because i was trying yeah. to use miles to get the family out there and yeah. then on the way home with delta it was one of the bigger airbuses the uh what is that the 321 thir- uh, yeah 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 or, or th- 330 that, is it the 330 or the three it, it's the one that's basically the same size as a seven six okay it's a wide body which was nicer uh hmm yeah, I'm a Delta guy, but yeah. that United was very nice. They've got it had the new screens in it. I don't know if how many of you guys out there airline, but Delta, yep. if you're wanting to watch the movies on their system, you got to plug in the headphones yeah. um, to a jack. Well, the new United planes have Bluetooth built into that screen, so you can use your AirPods. You know, with the noise canceling and everything, that's a game changer. Wow, that is watching, nice. Yeah, watching the movies they have. And when you're out over the ocean, unless you have your Netflix or Prime or whatever downloaded into your device, uh, there's no internet out over the ocean. Right. I don't care what right. kind of airplane you're in. Um, so that, that Bluetooth on that screen built in was very nice. 
Awesome. Now there is uh, the new KA band uh, broadband satellite based internet you can get in corporate jets, and it's like uh, let's see, I don't I think know anybody it's like, has that. <laughs> it's four hundred and fifty thousand install in like thirty seven thousand dollars a month for this subscription, <laughs> but it works all over the yeah 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 you're gonna have uh, to works have... all over the world, yeah, but yeah yeah the airlines for that yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I think the airlines use GoGo, which is all yep. ground-based. So sure. as soon as you get over the water, uh, uh, actually, I heard it's the old cell phone towers. They turn upside down, uh, whatever the last generation, on top of the tower so it goes up. Uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody will comment that's an IT guy that understands that. But, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, cool. Yeah. We don't want to digress too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I did want to hear what kind of planes you're on. So, so the podcast today, I think is going to be a a pilot scary. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, the idea for this came up, uh, we we have tons of ideas and tons of emails on what to do. Uh, but you know, someone emailed us about this and, uh, just as Sean and I were talking about topics, it's something that, I mean, as a pilot, a non-pilot will ask you maybe once a week or something. Is, uh, <laughs> it happens a lot. Uh, yeah. Week, but it's either, there's a several variations to this question. Right. Uh, is it scary to be a pilot? Or they'll say, is it, have you ever been really scared up there? Or, or how often are you scared? There's the old adage of being a pilot is hours of boredom separated by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, uh, in general, it's very safe. It's not an extremely stressful job. There's excellent training, and we'll get into all that. Uh, but but just to cover this topic, uh, for those interested, there are times if you do a career as long as our, ourselves uh, that you know you're going to get a little. Oh, wow, well, right. huh, that's that. This is exciting. Uh, I better uh, sit up straight uh, here and figure out what's going on. So, uh, uh, Sean, I'm sure you've had those moments. Yeah. Um, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah. So, um, well, just to go back to what you're saying, it just yeah. happened right before I left on vacation. The day before we went to Hawaii, I had to do a trip. We took some people down to St. Martin. And you got scared? <laughs> yeah. No, no. But we were sitting in, we were in the Citation Sovereign. And, uh, you know, we're at 47,000 feet. Sean's scared every time he flies. Yeah, exactly. The passenger comes up, sticks their head in between us in the cockpit. And, and <laughs> so we've been seeing water for a long time. Where's the nearest land? And I'm like, oh, it's about a little under 400 miles that way. You know, <laughs> the passenger was like, you ever get scared up here? I mean, like, what if something happens? And uh, so it does happen all the time. That question gets asked. Yeah, us. right. And yes. And there have been times in every pilot's if if they tell you no, it's I've never been scared. I guarantee they're lying to you. Yeah, no, no, no. because yeah. that's that's kind of part of the purpose of of why we do all the training we do. And uh, you know, I can remember when I was working uh, going through my instrument training. I was I went up to a school in Minnesota, and. It was a, a school, you know, that we're, it was a type of school that we're always telling people to chase down. Right. And it, it accelerated training. It was a 10 day instrument course. Oh, so, yeah. So in this type of training, you're flying all day, every day. If you're not flying, you're sitting in front of a computer studying something, 
or actually back then it was more of a book. There was no computer, but, uh, or you're in the simulator, um, you know, a little Frasca thing, but, uh, you're flying in real weather. And the day of my check ride, we had some weather. It was winter time when all this was going on. So now the weather turns into possible icing. We had to be very careful with the icing where the freezing uh, level was. You know, if you're flying around at 3,000 feet, are you going to be picking up ice on the wings of this little piper with no ice protection? You know, you're grounded. You're grounded. That screws you up. Um, But it was my actual check ride. And it was nighttime. Wow. It was a night check ride. By the time the oral was over, it was already dark. It was winter time. So it probably got dark before five. The examiner, I mean, I'm look, I'm walking out here out on the ramp pre-flighting. I'm like, man, I don't even know if we're going to fly. This isn't looking good. The examiner had no cares whatsoever. We, we went and flew and halfway through the, maybe three quarters of the way through the ride, uh, we started picking up a little bit of trace ice mm. on the wings. Um, so we, we lowered altitude, got rid of it. It was fine. We continued the ride. But on our last approach, this was going to be the end of the check ride. We went through a layer, and it was all IFR. My, my actual instrument check ride, oftentimes guys are wearing foggles or, um, you know, the yeah. glasses. A view-limiting device. view-limiting so device. It, it, some of them are a hood that comes down over your eyes so you can only see the instruments of the airplane and not out the windows. Um, some of them are like a pair of safety glasses that have, you know, this part fogged out so you can only see down. Right. But anyway, that's what most people wear on their check rides. I didn't have to do that because it was real instrument conditions. And uh, we we picked up a significant amount of ice on that last wow. approach. Me, as a young pilot with very little hours, I was I was actually getting nervous because that's all you hear about. There are all these ice related, you know, crashes and stuff. The examiner, the examiner didn't care. He was fine. (laughs) But I can tell you this, by the time we landed, I mean, on final approach, that little Cherokee warrior we were in Piper 160, 160 horsepower, we were almost at full power to maintain flight by the time we touched down. Unbelievable, man. Was, you know, when you're picking up ice, you know, you're losing performance in several different ways. You know, the wing isn't creating lift as much. Yeah, uh, weight. Yep, you're getting heavier and you're increased. Not only is your lift diminishing, but your drag is increasing. Um, so you got all kinds of problems working against you. I've heard of guys getting it over the intakes on those planes for the engine. And, you know, you could end up running into engine issues. That's the other thing. Yeah. The four things that make an airplane fly, the four forces of flight, you got power, lift, drag, and weight. Every one of them are diminished, even the power, because the propeller's picking up ice too. Not right. much thrust. Or the intake. Yeah. Your carburetor could freeze up, that kind of stuff. Um, right. Anyway, that story took a little longer than I thought it would. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's that, great. That's the time I was scared in an airplane, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a few of those um, early, not a few, uh, one in particular I can remember, you know, we had the same thing in Cincinnati during the training. You, you'd have, sometimes in the winter here, you'll have 20 days in a row of IFR conditions. And, you know, if the surface temperature's 30, uh, you can't fly. 
you know? So when it got up to 40 or something, you know, guys were always trying to fly and, you know, the standard temperature lapse rate is two degrees per thousand feet, but that can vary based on whatever atmospheric conditions. So you're like, well, it's 40 on the ground. Uh, that should give us, you know, several thousand feet of uh, 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 below freezing temperatures. Let's go fly. But then right after takeoff, you know, the temperature drops because there's some sort of issue with the atmosphere. And then, you know, guys are, you know, picking up ice and it's it's extremely scary, you know. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I had um, I had that. I had uh, one of the major ones in my career where it was pretty uh uh, frightening was um uh actually in the jets um uh we we had uh i can remember this about 20 15 or 20 years ago when i was flying charter um we were doing a trip uh picked up an nfl player i think a running back in atlanta uh at the one of the satellite airports atlanta peachtree real nice neighborhood outside of atlanta and I can't remember where we were going, probably New York or something. But we positioned there. We landed. It was in Allure 60. And uh, it, it was, you know, winter. And it was raining like ungodly rain. Um, so we we positioned an hour prior. We had to get fuel. So the airplane's out on the ramp. It's just getting soaked. I mean, miserable. It's like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, we got umbrellas going back and forth to the plane, all this stuff. Uh, the pastor shows up. I was not the captain. This is, you know, 20 years ago. I was the first officer, but I was flying and uh, uh, we load them up. Everything's great. Go to taxi, torrential downpour, taxiing. Um, and we get, it's kind of odd in Atlanta, but we get a very good uh, unrestricted climb. So a lot of times at these busy airports, they'll have you level off, you know, 3000 feet and then they step you up to 8,000 and then you keep going, whatever the time of day, whatever the weather um, they just wanted us out of there. So, um, you know, they cleared us like 15,000 initially. And uh, the um, the Lear 60, now there's newer jets that were um, are even more powerful. But at the time, that was one of the, uh, the best climbing corporate jets made, you know, oh, really yeah. high. That, yeah, thrust. yeah, that Lear 60 was, uh, it was a monster. <laughs> it was like a muscle car, man. Big yeah. engines, little plane, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, Pratt's on there, big Pratt's, I think, uh, 305A. So, uh, so I mean, I'm climbing like a rape date. I mean, we're, we're coming out of there, you know, 5,000, 6,000 feet a minute um, through the weather. And, uh, you know, one of the things you try to do when it's raining like that is you try to climb quickly because you may be able to get on top of the weather. Uh, the sun sun may come out. You never know. So we're we're climbing through maybe, you know, 15 initially, and that's fine. Everything's fine. Then they start bringing us up to 20. We're still in hard IFR. We can't see anything uh, in and out of the rain. Um, and then um, all of a sudden, you know, I have the autopilot engaged in the climb. The autopilot kicks off. I'm like, oh, no, that's that's weird, you know. Uh, so, but it happens. Sometimes there's a glitch or something like that. So then uh, I just reach up and re-engage it. Um, um, and there may be some comments. I probably should have tested some things first, but I think I just re-engaged. <laughs> and then uh, uh, it was on for another. I mean, sometimes you just hit hit it with your arm. Arm or something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm not thinking anything's wrong, so I re-engage it, and uh, you know, it's on for another minute or so, and it kicks off again. I'm like, "What the hell?" You know, so I start hand flying the plane, and uh, I realize quickly the the flight controls won't move. I mean, they're frozen. Um, uh, the ailerons, right? I got pitch control, 
but the right and left on the on the yoke, I'm like, hey, hey, wait a minute, what, what, it's jammed. We got a jam, and uh, 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 you know, I'm trying to move the yoke. I can't. Um, the the captain was on the radios. He immediately asked to level. So we're still in the clouds. He, so we we level off uh, in the plane of level. Uh, but we can't steer the ailerons. So I transfer the controls to him. He's trying. He's like, no, we got to jam. The, uh, the ailerons are jammed. And uh, um, so um, we, we, we we're we trying to assess the situation. We're hand flying. Obviously, you can't use autopilot. All this is jammed and all that. Um, he's trying. I'm trying on my side. He's trying his side. Um, we did realize that you could steer with the um with your feet because we have a rudder right so um that's a backup it's it, it's not real pretty but it'll turn the airplane mm-hmm. so we're steering with our feet and uh you know uh we're like something's wrong and we thought it was a, a jam control service there's cables in a lear 60 it's not hydraulic so um, there's cables that go out to pulleys just like any of these guys doing a flight train on a Cessna, exact same system. So cables and pulleys, you, the the power of you moving the yoke actually is what moves the ailerons. So um, uh, we're like the, the the cables must jam, something got loose or something, a pulley or something, and this is bad. So um, we declare an emergency, and you know when you ever have problems with your flight controls or whatever, you know That's we tell them yeah. it's a big deal, right? And they, I don't even know if they suggested it or we suggested it but the atlanta hartsfield has the longest runway so we declared an emergency they give us priority handling and probably delayed a bunch of airline flights uh, probably delta going in there but they start giving us vectors back down and around for the approach into atlanta um at this point the captain's flying now uh obviously because it's an emergency and he has a lot more experience than mine actually great captain who's now uh, a major airline captain now uh i still keep in touch with but you know we were both very nervous but in the passengers i i think they they couldn't tell much we told them we were having an issue with the plane and we were heading back i don't know that they realized it was jam controls or whatever there's some bedside um, so, manner that needs to be you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, so we're steering with our feet and uh, coming around big wide vectors. Um, <laughs> uh, we get lined up on final approach. So now we're descending down. And it, it actually was, it stopped raining at that point, I believe, or it was light rain. We could see the airport. Um, and then um, uh, um, we could see they rolled the equipment. So all the fire trucks, they got rolled oh, out yeah. uh, on all the taxiways and everything. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so when we were maybe at 3,000 feet or so maneuvering on the approach, we were getting, we were able to turn a little bit to the left. Uh, you could move it just a little, and then the airplane would go left, but it wouldn't go right and all that stuff. All of a sudden, it just breaks loose, and the uh, flight controls start working again. We're like, oh, man, this is great, you know? Um, so now, whatever was jammed is unjammed, we're thinking, and that's great. So we land uneventfully. Um, the fire trucks come to meet us. We tell the tower, you know, everything's fine. We just want to taxi to maintenance. So we let the passengers off. They send another plane um, to get the passengers, of course, and uh, they're grateful that we made it back. And then uh, the mechanics come inspect it. And what we found out was it actually wasn't a jam at all mechanically. So there's the seals that um, on the ailerons on the wings that go, they're called gap seals. And they're on where the ailerons meet the wing on the sides. They put a uh, felt. It's I don't know if it's like a, felt a brush or, strip, like a brush strip that right. a uh, sliding glass door would have. 
Yes, that's exactly right. And that that makes sure there's a seal there, but still allows the ailerons to move and it prevents any air from getting through the crack on the sides. Well, what they do is those can absorb water, so they put a grease on those seals uh, that that you know repels water, just like like almost like Vaseline or something. And um, the, the, these weren't greased properly, um, so that allowed uh, under all that rainy conditions water to seep into that seal. And then when we were climbing out so quickly, the the lapse rate, you know, I mean, the temperature was probably really, really cold. Um, it, 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 and the ailerons weren't moving much because we were in a straight, straight le- or a uh, non-turning climb uh, that those seals froze and they froze the ailerons to the wing. So we couldn't steer. Um, so yeah. Um, so now, <laughs> you know, 20 years later, every single time I pre-flight, I'm always checking those seals and make sure they look good and they're lubricated correctly on any airplane that I fly, you know, but, uh, yeah, for, for a while, it was a very, uh, exciting, exciting day to say the least, you know? So. Right. You, you know, and, uh, it's stuff like that, you know, that builds the experience to, to, you know, you want those kind of things to happen, kind of. Yes. For example, in one more story, and then we'll get kind of <laughs> more into the scary. When I was a student pilot, um, you know, before I even had my private pilot's license, one of the things you're going to do before you get your private is you're going to solo. You're going to be signed off to go fly the airplane by yourself. You can't take any passenger or anything. This is a confidence building thing built into getting your pilot's license when you start off doing the solo stuff just flying around the pattern doing touch and goes well typically stop and goes taxi backs depending on how big the runway is but um typically students don't do touch and goes though solo right Uh, but at some point your instructor will turn you loose to go out into the practice area and fly around a little bit and then eventually you'll do a solo cross country as part of your training to get your pilot's license and all these things are to build confidence and let you see little issues and you know gain that confidence of of being able to handle stuff and i was on my i did my training my initial private pilot training out in south dakota and i was on my solo cross country in this old beat up cessna 150 and of course, every pilot at that stage knows you don't trust fuel gauges in these little airplanes. You know, you climb up on the wing, right? If you're a Cessna or if you're in the Piper, you look in the fuel gauge. You know, there's dipsticks to check how much fuel's in the in the uh, tank, and uh, you do everything by how many gallons are in the tank and how long you plan on running that engine that you know already burns whatever yeah you're right just eight to ten gallons per hour right right just to interject for a second a lot of people are not familiar with that because they're like my car has an excellent gas gauge it's perfect right And, and it's way less important to know your fuel level in a car than it is in a plane and they yep. can't comprehend it. But it's basically in these older designs, these airplanes, a lot of them designed the fifties and sixties, they didn't have any digital temperature probes or electrical stuff. Right. So, you know, uh, the, it was manual linkage that in the planes were in a high wing up above then over here. So there's like linkage that comes down, it goes all the way around in it and they just didn't work right. You know, right. Plus you're, you're in turns and things. And then the, 
gauge right. remove and the turns and all of that. But yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. I remember but that. But what we do know about besides the fuel gauges being, you know, junk in these little bitty old airplanes, the engines are, you know, prime. I mean, they are prim prim to la prim, you know, constantly being maintenance worked on. Uh every if it's a flight training airplane, every hundred hours they're gone through. Um, just a typical airplane every 2000 hours, the engine's getting, you know, rebuilt. So, you know, at cruise, you're burning nine gallons an hour or eight gallons an hour. You know that. And some of the bigger, small, bigger, smaller airplanes have gallon per hour gauges and you know how many gallons you took off with. But, uh, as a young student, not even have a license yet, you know, first cross country, um, I had, uh, and you, you're supposed to land at so many points or whatever. I, I, on my way back to Rapid City, South Dakota, uh, from wherever I went, um, one of the fuel gauges was buried into the E. Like it was buried, like not even, you had a fuel gauge for each wing tank. <laughs> one of them was completely buried past the E and the other yeah. one was showing like a quarter of a tank bouncing off the E in one quarter. <laughs> and, uh. I'm like, oh my God, how did I, I must've misjudged something. Maybe I didn't lean the mixture out enough, whatever. I'm out of right. gas. And I, I landed at this little uncontrolled airport out in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota, climbed up on the, you know, tanks, looked in there and did the dipstick. I had plenty of gas, plenty of gas, but that scared the crap out of me. I got back, I told my instructor about this and he's like, so you just landed somewhere else? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to get in trouble, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's oh like, oh my God. He's like, no, that is excellent decision making. Good job. <laughs> but you learned a valuable lesson, though, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. He's like, well, that's what it's all about. And that's when I first heard the phrase as a pilot, you want your bag of experience to fill up before your bag of luck runs out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. That's so funny. My answer to that passenger, I was telling you when we were down, on our way down to St. Martin, um, my answer to her was not really, not not at this point in my career do I run into that many encounters where I'm scared, or if any, that I'm scared. I run into situations where I'm concerned about something. But through my experience and my preparation into whatever flight I'm doing, because of my experience and issues right. I've had in the past, I mean, that's why you want the guy with a lot of hours. He's already seen most everything that can happen. Yeah. But my, my exact thing I said to her, and it was kind of a jovial joking around, was, I don't know, did, I mean, to put it in perspective, did you get scared on your drive to the airport this morning? Probably not, because you've been driving for years, right? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. When you first got your driver's license, maybe you were a little driver's license isn't exactly apples to apples because we all sat there watching our parents drive for right, right. 16 still, years before right. we got our license. But still, when you first get your driver's license, you're out there by yourself. You know, there are situations, you know, you pull up to a four-way stop. Oh my God, who, who got here first? You know, right. there's, there's that kind of stuff. But that goes away with yeah. the experience of being behind the wheel of a car. And it's it's the same thing with an airplane. Um I would say if you got a professional pilot at the helm of whatever machine you're in, who's constantly walking around scared at everything. I don't know. That might not be, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> as you're saying this, I'm thinking about this. So 
that exact situation with the frozen ailerons and everything. So I remember we land. And then when you, when you go into the, um, FBO, the first thing you do in a situation like that, you got to call the chief pilot, right? It's your occupation. Sure. I mean, this is a big deal and explain what happened. Yep. So Step we call one, get him. other people involved in the problem. Yeah. And he was great, man. He's got all kinds of experience and everything. So we call him and then I'm listening in. It's the captain on the phone and he's explaining, Hey, we came out of here and, blah, 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 and he's saying what happened. Uh, he's only talked for 45 seconds and I hear the chief go, was it raining real hard? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, real hard. Yeah, when we left it, when we left Peachtree, it was raining real hard. Yeah, yeah. What altitude? And then I'm like, and he's like, oh, like twenty eight thousand or something. He's like, sounds like frozen ailerons. <laughs> I've had that before, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> somebody would have told us, yeah. right? Because John had already experienced, or that chief yep. pilot uh, already experienced that situation before. He's yep. familiar. Yeah. You got it, man. You got it. So, yep. Yep. But, you know, for our viewers, um, you know, I think that, you know, these are these are a couple stories that we're giving over a, you know, 20 plus year career, 25 years, um, 50 between both of us. Right. And, uh, you and know, there's, it's we actually had to sit and think about it before, you know. Right. Because it, these stories are years and years old 25 years old stories yeah yeah um so but this, the other thing to put in yep. there mike don't forget mm -hmm. about the other reason why your professional pilots you know really don't get to use the word scared don't get worried about as much is don't forget every six months to one year we're sitting in these machines in a simulator where they purposefully are draining high, hydraulic fluid reservoirs, setting engines on fire, making control controls jam up in a simulator, in a simulated environment where we can, in these new modern jets, you know, in that situation, if you couldn't get it unjammed, we can separate the controls. We can unlock the controls from each other and separate the yokes. That's a, getting detailed, but uh, they're purposefully doing stuff to us in that training environment to give us the confidence the experience of dealing with these issues in a training environment in a yes. ultra realistic training environment these simulators aren't like a i mean they are a big computer game but it's next level like the best crap you know mankind can make uh yes, type, of, very good type of computer game and with that experience uh that drives out the fear and what's yeah, left is confidence. confidence right yeah. right yeah yeah, they, um, and you know, like eighty percent of that training, you're on one engine. On a, on a exactly. Engine. Yeah, that's that's the old joke. I remember. <laughs> yeah. When I was when I was training, when I was, I think I was a private. There's this old guy standing in the airport. He's a retired airline guy, and I was, I was asking him something or telling him something, and he was telling me something. And anyway, it ended up in the point in the conversation. This old guy looks at me. And he's like, "Son, I got more time on one engine." from the outer marker to the runway that you have completely total in your logbook. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that, that is the truth. I mean, yeah, hundred percent truth because yeah. yeah, you're flying around on one engine the entire time in training <laughs> or something on fire or yeah, that's right. checklist and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it is so real, you know, especially when they do the visuals at night, you almost can't tell that you're not in a real plane. You know, the Dave graphics are a little bit like a computer, but uh, yeah. And with the way the motion is and everything and, and, you know, every, you know, they're, they're giving you new scenarios and new failures every time you go back. So yeah, you have seen a lot of, a lot of stuff and real world stuff. They'll take the stories the guys are having with whatever, whatever airplane you're in there to, you know, do your recurrent training on. Um, Oh, the guy's been having a lot of trouble. We had an issue with this. So we're going to be, we're going to be, we'll show you that today in the simulator. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's great stuff. It is. It is. Uh, Yeah. But, but if you're watching this because you you have reservations about, you know, the dangers of it and, 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 and all of that, I would encourage people that, you know, it's really not as dangerous as, as what people think. And uh, it's not a, it's certainly not a terrifying job where you're scared to go to work every day or anything like that. I could think of a lot more things that more dangerous career paths than, you know, becoming a pilot. (laughs) Oh yeah. The, I mean, if the, the basic statistics, I don't have it in front of me. I used to have this number memorized, but uh, something about uh, if you wanted to be in a plane crash, like if it was your mission in life, you would have to fly on an airplane every day for like 360,000 years or something. And, <laughs> and even then, if after that crash happened, the odds are you would survive the crash are the actual numbers. So the statistics are in your favor. It's really not that, that dangerous sounds... at wow. all. Wow, man, man. Great. Well, I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, Again, I want to thank everybody for watching the videos, liking the videos, subscribing to the videos. The channel is every week is growing. Uh, You know, I know we took some time off and now we're back at it really hard. And it's all because of your encouragement. Uh, We love the emails. We get emails with uh, questions. We love those. We get emails thanking us. Uh, The comments are great. Uh, We read all of those. We try to read all the emails. Um, we've got a list of ones we want to turn into podcasts. We got a lot of great things uh, coming up for the podcast. We're going to start to have some guests on the podcast, I think. Yep. And we really want to expand this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And- really getting tuned up with uh, with some stuff here, and you know, we got just uh, just name drop here real quick. You know, we got uh, Mr. Johnson out there and uh, Mr. Jones. I'm just looking at some emails <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, your questions. And I think it was uh, Brian who had sent the second email wanting to know about that. We're going to get to the bottom of that. Yep. And yep we're going to, you're not the only person asking that question. Yeah. We uh, want to research some of these questions before we do a, a whole right. episode. And, yeah. and taking the next step of actually having some guests on some of the questions I was just referencing had to do with the ATP flight school, which Mike and I have mentioned several times over the years here and mm-hmm. uh we're gonna get somebody from atp on this thing with us and we're gonna get to the bottom of some of these things but yeah. uh, we got some great stuff planned yeah yeah wonderful stuff and uh of course uh if you're interested in becoming a pilot we recommend always that you purchase our private course it's uh the pro pilot playbook with the podcast it's named after it's really not very expensive and the revenue for that helps us you know, uh, pay for a lot of these things, hosting fees and things like that. And, uh, so, so that's a big thank you. But if you can't afford the, the course and you're not there yet, just make sure you like and subscribe because that also helps boost the YouTube algorithm and keep our momentum going. So thanks, everybody. We really, truly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>